Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds. KGRA Radio. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. And today I have David Black, the maker of Toxic Alien Babies from Outer Space. Did I get that title right? Very close. Very, very close. It's Toxic Alien Zombie Babes from Outer Space. Yes. <laughs> well, thanks it's for being on the show. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah, thank you for having me as a guest. All right. So what... Um, so have you made, is this your first movie? No, I've been making uh, movies. If, if you look at music videos, I've been making those for about 11, 12 years with my band Darkness Visible. But about uh, four years ago, I started making films as well. So uh, we were making short films. And uh, I think I'm probably up to about 35 and I'm up to, I finished um, a hosted horror series called Horror House. So there were six episodes of that, and that went out on TV, um, small TV shows in the United States. The mm-hmm. short films are made, went out also on um, uh, TV shows in the United States as well as uh, in Australia. And uh, the, some of them were shown as the short before the feature at uh, cult movie cinemas. So places like Roxy 14 Stadium and, um, and Film Scene in Iowa uh, were showing the short films. Mm-hmm. And then it came time to do a feature because you're stepping up from your music videos to short films to a, a TV series to now doing a feature. And we were just, we only just had um, two days of filming left on a feature film called Badass Bunyip when we ended up in lockdown because of the COVID-19. <laughs> so, I mean, the film's actually finished. It's just that um, there were some audio problems um, for, that needed to be redone. And they probably could have been redone on the iPhone, but I thought I want to recast the, um, the character. And I thought, right, um, Easter long weekend is perfect. We'll, we'll just go off and redo the scenes. And bang, Melbourne went into lockdown. So, uh, yeah, during the lockdown, we um, were editing up short films that um, had been sitting around for anywhere from six months to a year. And one of, one of the um, films that we were um, editing, um, base, well, one of the films that we had after we got all of these little ones edited, so it didn't look like we'd actually ever stopped bringing uh-huh. out product, one of them had been written up before the lockdown to be, um, to be filmed and then was changed to be filmed during the lockdown. The first lockdown, you're allowed to have five people um, together. And the lockdown went from stage three to stage four. And so I messaged the, um, the editor on it, um, who's also the, uh, the camera guy, and I said, we can't film it. And he said, yeah, we can, we can. Um, and I said, well, you don't have to stick with the script. And he ended up finding ways around it and sticking very much to the script. And out came a film done in lockdown that looked like 
like we'd had five people on set because he just filmed himself over and over five times. So rather than me being the star on it, I mean, I did some on the iPhone, uh-huh. you know. So I did a close-up of my mouth um, as like the big brother voice. And that just got, from all of the footage he took, because you're only allowed to have one person now in a place, he uh, took footage around um, his area and he kept dumping the mouth into screens that were around in places. And he filmed himself over with a mask. So it looked like there were five people on set. And I said, my God, if I could come up with five or six more different ways around this, um, different techniques to film, we could probably do a feature. And he, we, we talked about it and because we can't, we can't go out the front door. Like you're allowed out for one hour a day maximum within five kilometres of your place, only if you're going to go to the supermarket or the doctor. Wow. We're in a very strict stage four lockdown. We really are locked down here. And um, as well as that, there's a, a curfew. As soon as it's dark, you're not allowed out at all. So um, we talked about it and we came up with six or seven different uh, techniques to film during a lockdown. Ways so that it actually makes it look like you've been on a set with um, your your soundy, your lights, your camera crew, your makeup artists, uh, your extras, your main actors. And uh, once we had that, we said, we've got nothing else to do. Let's do it. <laughs> so we're in the middle of filming it. And as bad as that all sounds, there actually are benefits. For instance, it's being done remotely, which means for the first time, a little Aussie crew um, that have been making films together for four years in Melbourne are now working with people in India, Africa, America. We've got uh, people who are acting it in it remotely from all around the world. That's amazing. I saw um, on Facebook that you're having a contest. Oh, yeah. Actually, everyone's going to win that contest. Um, originally um, for self shot stuff, we know one of the things you quite often have is a person's reaction. And, uh, the idea came up. In fact, it was my idea. Um, and I said, why don't we have people self tape themselves on the iPhone pretending they've just seen a UFO as long as they leave a little bit of space, um, like some sky or something, we can drop the UFOs in there. And we thought, well, look, we only need five reactions. Then, so we started up the uh, group, and it's just called UFO Scream Scene, and people are sending off their HD um, self-taped films of themselves seeing a UFO and screaming. And uh, somebody said to me, your credits are going to be very long at the end of this film, aren't they? And I said, yeah, they are. We're actually getting a song commissioned um, to run through the credits. <laughs> and I said, why don't you take all of the um, footage that people are uploading there and just show it at the end? I was thinking about making one and setting it. Pardon? I was thinking about making a video for you and sending it. Oh, you may as well. You may as well. Don't be put off by the fact that um, a few professionals have um, uploaded their stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's, peop- there's people out there that um, 
they've got crews around the world. They're not as locked down as ourselves. So they've actually gone and professionally filmed their scream scene. Don't let that put you off because, um, well, one of my first films actually was done on an um, done on the iPhone. So, and, uh, the iPhone can do HD and there's been, um, people that have done films on iPhone that have actually gone to the cinema. So, yeah, don't, don't let that put you off. As long as you've got something from an iPhone 4 up or an Android, it'll do HD. Here's my iPhone. With your... <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be perfect. Just remember to hold the screen um, horizontally and self-tape. Uh, did you uh, listen to the, um, the footage that we did release, that opening for the uh, film? No, I'm completely unprepared for this interview. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. I decided to release um, the opening of the film so that people could see that the film is not Zoom footage, you know, and mm-hmm. not a whole lot of iPhone selfies. We just wanted to prove to them that um, we do know what we're talking about. So um, release that and people are going, oh, my God, it's big. It's cinematic. The sound is fantastic. The sound was actually done on an iPhone. So I just had the iPhone up this close. I've done it many times before for voiceovers overseas and they think I'm in an expensive studio. I actually do have um, a a professional recorder that, um, oh God, it must cost 800 bucks that people use for voiceovers. And I look at it and I look at the complexity of it and I go, ah, bugger it, iPhone. So yeah, I just uh, put the iPhone up this close and, no one could have believed at the end of the 20th century or whatever, whatever I did in that. And uh, so we've, it captures enough of the highs, lows, and all of the sound of the voice that uh, is able to do that. So um, you can actually, with the technology in your hand that has now become quite cheap, do a lot. And over the last six years, the amount of bandwidth that you can actually get on the internet and the speeds of connection mean that we're actually sending feature films, feature-length films, to our TV stations around the world just from the home PC. Admittedly, um, it's like a 10-hour upload, but... (laughs) (laughs) But it's not the old days. Like, even though I said I've only been doing this for maybe four years with the short films and 11 with the, um, with the music videos. I've actually been involved in film since I was uh, 17, and I'm 56 now. And in the old days, they would tell me the cost of a Betamax tape that had mm-hmm. to be done in order to send it off somewhere. And I think it was like uh, 250 bucks for one of those blue tapes. The cost of everything just meant everybody was cut out. Nowadays, you actually... If you've got the skills, you've actually got the tools in your hands that you can do anything. Like make a movie or a podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if you look at the podcast, like your own, they're going out internationally. When I was 17, I was thrilled to go to community radio. Um, There was a place near me. It's still there called 3PBS, which is one of the community radio stations. I think in Melbourne, we've got maybe 20 community radio stations. So I went in there and um, started getting radio experience. And 
they'd tell you how much that mic cost and you looked at all of the equipment there and having to learn the carts and that. Nowadays, you're sitting in your lounge room, you're doing as good as what was done then. And uh, you don't have to say, right, the reach of my broadcast is for seven suburbs either way of my radio station. Uh-huh. Your reach is the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even like in the short time that I've been doing a podcast, now it's on internet radio on KGRA. So it's pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> now, anybody that actually wants to do anything can. They probably have since the year 2000 um, when it comes to film. In the year 2000, there was a fellow that decided to do a zombie movie called Colin, and he only had a mini DV camera. In the year 2000, I had mini DV cameras and was buying the little tapes, and boy, Mm -hmm. my my stuff was crap. But uh, he did his film. People were laughing at him to start with. They said, you're not going to make um, a feature film on a mini DV camera especially not an old one, which is what he had. And he edited it with the software that came with the camera. So they were really laughing at him. But Colin went to Cairns. Um, it got noticed and it went out um, on uh, cinema screens, thousands of them around the world. He made mil- He's one of the rare people that made millions. I don't think the fella's ever done anything since. But the point <laughs> was that he used a mini DV camera. Well, you can get 4K on one of these Androids now. Yeah, most people don't realise that they don't need it because when they film in 8K or 4K now, they still dump it down to HD, and HD is what goes onto the big cinema screen. At least that's what I'm told, and that's how it seems to be working with us that we're doing stuff that's finished up in HD and going on. It's broadcast quality for TV, and it is going onto big screens. So you've got more in your hands than the fellow that did Colin back in the year 2000. That's incredible. Now we're actually breaking new ground that's never been done before because we're in lockdown. When I watched the one technique that Gerardo did to make this short film that we thought couldn't be made until lockdown's over and it looks like it's got five people in it, um, I I said to some, like, I don't want to give away the secrets of what we're doing because everybody's going to want to copy us. And I don't mind as long as we still get to do what we're doing first. But to give away one technique, and um, because this isn't visual, you might have to re-describe what I'm doing to the audience. (laughs) But imagine, laser beam comes out of um, the sky or from one of the toxic alien zombie babes and a person is hit with it and they go, ah, right? Like that. So they've been hit on this side of their arm. Then we cut into that side of their arm, but it's a makeup artist somewhere else overseas that did the wound on that side of the arm. They film it in front of a green screen and it's up this close because the person's now looking at their wound. It's their hands going, ah, over the wound. And then you cut back and a person's like this. Everybody just thinks that they saw somebody got hit by a laser and saw the gore. Hmm. That's just one of the techniques. I can't wait to see this. I've been seeing bits and pieces as I'm going along. Um, it actually, the things we're doing will work. But uh, 
There are also downsides of working with um, people overseas. And I don't want anything to come across as prejudice or whatever. It's just experience. But I get somebody that puts their hand up from, say, Africa. Mm -hmm. We've got three scenes being done in Africa. Whereas I'm, I'm connecting with you, I understand that you've understood what I've said and we're understanding each other. I can't understand a bloody thing from the people I'm working with, some of them. You know, it's like, yes, boss, I'll get this, boss. And then I'm typing back, uh, have you looked at the pictures? Do you have um, the shot list? Do you understand what we're doing? Yes, boss. When will I see something? All good, boss. So, I mean, <laughs> so India is roughly the same, but not with the same words and terminologies. So communication in some cases is a big problem. Um, but for the, for those people that have done their stuff and sent it back where it's been usable, it's quite amazing. Cause, um, one thing with digital is you're working with layers. Um, when you, we used to use analog tape and I know people th- are thinking now, oh, but he said he's been working 11 years. He hasn't been working with tape. He's been working digital, but I did, I never considered myself into movies before that. But before that, I was working with other people. When it's tape, it's just tape. Um, digital, you, you can put a layer in front. You can put a layer in back. It's like working with Photoshop. Right. And you can actually... You, um, people probably have seen the behind-the-scenes stuff from Game of Thrones. You'll see that there's a big green screen. Mm-hmm. There is no dragon in front of the lady that's um, being filmed. They drop the dragon in. They drop the background in. They drop the foreground in. They start building it up layer by layer till you've got um, what looks like she's off in the mountains, you know, in snow. And uh, they put all of the snowflakes in. And they've been doing that since almost Babylon 5, if you remember that. Yeah, I do. Babylon 5 was one of the first uh, to use CGI. Every time they cut in with those shots where they decide to show the um, station and you see the same two people walking backwards and forwards, it's actually a CGI scene that was shot. It's amazing. Yeah, we're we're just getting the bits and pieces done by different people all around the world. So I'm seeing it as it's coming back, but it's still early days. We won't have this done till November. (laughs) So... Um, how do you finance this project? This actually is the first one I'm doing that won't cost a cent. Really? So everybody's volunteer. Yeah. Well, every, everyone works on my stuff volunteer anyway, but volunteer isn't necessarily volunteer. When we're on a set, yes, it's volunteer, but I've still got to feed everybody. So imagine if you're shooting for four days and you've got to buy 20 people lunch every day and 20 people dinner every day. Then um, with the makeup artists, there's such a thing as a kit fee. Because as a volunteer, they rock up and they don't expect they're getting it, but they do. Because I know what um, the, uh, the makeup costs because I actually work with makeup myself. And I've been to the Creolian store and I see what, the, what it costs. You can't have somebody... having an expense they're already giving you their time they're already using their equipment so you can't actually have them using up their product that they have to replace as well so they all get paid as well so there's a lot of these little 
um, payments that um, I just call it a token gesture. Mm-hmm. And so they'll add up. So our, our zero budget stuff quite often might have a cost of a few hundred dollars per day. And I finance that myself. Whereas a lot of people at the end of the year from having worked will pay for an overseas holiday or they'll pay for something. I'm um, paying for short films during the year. But because I'm stuck inside during lockdown, can't go out the front door, there's nothing to pay anybody. There's nobody rocking up to a set. Anybody that's doing some makeup or whatever, I'm saying to them, well, it's volunteer. And so they know that they're doing it in return for getting the IMDb credit. So their name's there. Their name is on the film. They can use what I use in the film to go and chase clients. Mm-hmm. So if a client turns around and says, well, this, this is a feature film. Have you ever worked on one? They go, yeah, I worked on this one. Here's my work. So, um, yeah, I know it's the old cliche, like, let's do it for exposure. But I've already had um, 28 blog articles on the film while we've been working on it. And I've been on about uh, 12 podcasts. So this is more publicity than small stuff normally gets. Interesting. Um, so how many babes are in this movie? I think that's what my listeners really want to know. One. <laughs> There's this one babe? Oh, no, this one babe is seven. Seven babes? Green, it's a green screen. So uh, Vixie Tay is the toxic alien zombie babe. Mm-hmm. I'm used to working with her in Melbourne. At the beginning of the year, she went to Sydney um, to study. Sydney's not in as bad a lockdown as us. They can have five people on a set. So um, she's able to be the toxic alien zombie babe. So she'll do all of the um, stuff in the shot list as one babe, go off, uh, put on a new wig, put on a new outfit, uh, put on the makeup differently, come back, change the personality to toxic alien zombie babe number two, number three, number four. When it comes to her starting off as um, a normal-sized human being, she gets dumped into the scene. At no time is she ever going to be actually on set with anybody that she kills. We dump her into the scenes. We've already got them storyboarded. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later on, when there's two babes, it's her twice. And uh, her's up to seven times going on a rampage. Filming little models um, in one place and having her in the green screen stomping down and cutting them in together. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, some of this stuff's been done by places before. But uh-huh. My big influence is the 1950s sci-fis. They didn't have green screen or anything. They actually had to think, how can we do this? And quite often they're doing something for the first time. Uh-huh. So kind of like that plan nine from outer space kind of stuff, like the Ed Wood kind of movies. Oh, he's my hero, but I was thinking <laughs> attack of the 50 foot woman. When you see the hand coming down to grab the guy, it's two separate shots. There's a guy being filmed and they get up on a ladder and they film him from above and he's going, ah! and then you see the hand coming down. It's a forced perspective of where the camera is. So you think the hand is giant. Mm hmm. Sometimes they cut in with little models. When um, the woman grabs the guy and you see the hand grabbing the guy, 
It's actually a little doll. And it's a normal woman-sized hand with a little uh-huh. doll inside a dollhouse. Some of this stuff's being done that way so too. it's kind of like giant hand. Yep, just like that. <laughs> so it was a case that we had to sit down and, and like a, if I could come up with seven separate ideas of how to do stuff that was achievable, I was ready to go because... In lockdown, people have been coming up with stuff that is all Zoom footage. So you're just seeing um, the one shot all of the time in different people's faces, all from the one shot. To keep a movie interesting, you have to have a, a variety of shots. You have to have a variety of backgrounds, costumes. It's all got to keep moving. So um, as soon as we knew that we had seven techniques we we're ready to go. And as we've been filming and coming across problems, which come across them all of the time, that's gone up to seven to eight or nine or 10 as we've been um, coming up with solutions for problems. So what is the premise of this movie? Uh, like you give you a little teaser on what the plot is. Oh yeah. Um, we did put that in the movie as a simple plot. Um, Basically, we do have the world being in lockdown. That bit I didn't give away yet, but its world is in lockdown. It's the the year 2020. It's what's happening now. And the premise is that um, toxic alien zombie babes have come from Venus to Earth. A bit like War of the Worlds, it's Mm -hmm. an invasion of the Earth. But as we go along in this, we're actually... uh, covering all of the stuff that's been going on this year, whether it be the bushfires that were burning down Australia at the beginning of the year, or whether it's murder hornets, uh, people worried about 5G. Uh, We're covering uh, some of the people that have been um, well-known this year but might be forgotten next year. For instance, at the beginning of the year, it was all Greta Thunberg. Shame on you, shame on you. You know, so we've got, we're, we're basically capturing today in a, in a very humorous way of all of the stuff that's going on. And that's, that's all part of these zombie babes attacking during the COVID-19 lockdowns. <laughs> Pretty brilliant. Oh, I hope so. I won't know till we get a little bit more progressed. As soon as I see the assembly edit... That's when I'm going to be able to say, hey, this looked good on paper, but there's a problem. And then we mm-hmm. have to work out how to fix the problem to make the whole thing run smoothly. Did, did you write the script yourself or you guys yeah. are just writing a script as you go along? Or uh, I write the script. So I'm the writer. Um, I'm also the producer. So as the producer, I'll um, get all of the people that are needed involved. Then I pass that to the director. So how the director then chooses it to be filmed and to interpret the script is up to himself. So there are changes. For instance, um, not trying to give it away, but in one scene, I knew that there was an action scene and I knew what was happening in the scene. But I only wrote in the scene, um, the, uh, the hero has um, a humorous death. Nobody got back to me to say, what is the humorous death? What is the humorous death? Gerardo came up with it himself. He had the guy slip on a banana peel. 
That's a terrible way to go. Well, I just used it as an example to say that um, the director's got a fair bit of leeway. They can actually change what I've done. But, but after it's all put together and it comes back to me, I'll be looking at it um, and then discussing with the um, director if I don't think something's working and saying, what will we do? And then we come up with solutions. So you could change the banana peel to something else. Well, that one probably won't get changed for banana peel. <laughs> when, I, when I wrote A Humorous Death, um, there, in the discussions, and I lost track in the discussions because it was on to the next thing. I said, oh, look, maybe the guy can just crash his motorbike. And then I said, don't really crash your motorbike. You could film it in this way or that way, and it's up to Gerardo to work out how to film a crash motorbike. And he thought, nah, bugger that. Um, let's actually have him slip on a banana peel. <laughs> so... But this is very different. Normally, um, we've got the whole script done. We're on the set. I don't know who's going to come back with their stuff and who's not. So for, all I've got is the progression of how it's going to go. I've broken it up into 14 um, sections. And I've, I've got, um, say, in the first section, um, nobody knows what's happening at this point. In other words, it's the point where you've never seen the monster, but you're seeing, you're seeing uh, the aftermath. You're seeing people discussing what they think's happening. The next one might be, um, we'll see the legs of the monster or we'll see a monster. And then the next part will say, we're now going to see two monsters. And then the next part say, the monsters are now growing to 10 foot tall. So I know what the progressions are. And I've um, created the scripts in small parts because um, there's lots of um, different cut-ins. It's like, you know, little chunks. Mm -hmm. So I know that we need to fill these sections all up with maybe a, a certain amount of time because I thought the sections may as well stay equal in time. So if somebody doesn't come back with their part, um, then I've got to uh, look at it and say, right, has that affected the way the um, the uh, film is running? I mean, they're basically, uh, a, a, this gag or that gag didn't come through. Uh, this piece didn't come through. So it's not like when we're filming and we actually know what the whole thing is from beginning to end. On this, I only know the progression and what the different parts I've sent out are. And I really need to see the assembly edit once it's put together to see well, do we need to um, polish off an area? You know, it's like when you've built something and you go, well, no, better, um, better put some putty in these uh, join, joints and sand them down. Or that finish actually doesn't look as good as I thought. I better use some, some wood stain and some varnish. Are there any sharks in the movie? Uh, there is and there isn't. Um. Basically, I've been offered a prop that, um, that can be filmed and I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh my God, I could never afford that prop. And it's been used in, um, in a particular movie that is a series with sharks. I don't want to give away which Sharknado? Oh, fuck. Ooh, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> yeah, you swear. <laughs> <laughs> I you didn't shark, say that. I am a connoisseur of Sharknado movies. Well, 
I hope the guy that's offered the prop isn't listening, but I have to work out is he a bullshit artist or not. So I'll still script up his scene. I've seen the prop. I know it's real. I've um, said to him, uh, are we actually legally allowed to use this? Who owns the prop? Is And he's not the only one that's offered props. So there is one and there's something scripted. Now, if the guy doesn't come through, basically that chunk's not in there. It's not important to the progression of the movie. But uh, if it goes shark, in... Shark, sharks make a bad movie good my opinion. If it has sharks in it, it's a good movie. Well, for Sharknado, um, they've actually used many, many different props of all different sizes for even the one shark, you know, like they did. So one guy who happened to be a prop maker and is an actor has offered that prop. He's not the only one from a larger movie that has offered stuff we would never have gotten in the past. And I've gone and scripted it up and gotten it off to them. They've gotten their headshots. They know what to do. But I have to see. Do you, actually... rubber... do you have a rubber Godzilla suit? No, we don't have a Godzilla in this one, and nobody <laughs> offered one. But, um, yeah, so it's a case of if that comes back and if all of the footage is usable and all of the and ifs, then there'll mm. be a shark in the movie. If it doesn't come back, it doesn't destroy the progression of the story. It's just um, a funny skit of, um, like, this isn't necessarily what we're going to do with the shark, but imagine somebody's going to have um, a bath, you know. Um, in that, to make sure it all fits in it, I'd have a radio there, and we'd use it as a segue. If we've got somebody on the radio telling everybody what's happening before, we'll then have the radio sound trailing off, to blend it because one of the things with every scene that I send off is I, I work out the blend beforehand from a previous scene. So imagine the shark comes out of the bathtub or the toilet or something uh -huh. like that. And boy, the uh, prop is huge. Um, so if he comes through, there'll be a shark. If there isn't, it won't destroy the progression of the film, but it means there won't be a shark. So I've got all of those unknowns of who's going to come through, who isn't. Key scenes which are important are actually being done by people I've worked with for four years. Mm -hmm. So I know that they'll come through. All right. So, so far I know there's babes, there's zombies, there might be a shark. There's there is a murder hornet. There, there, there's definitely a flying saucer. Yeah, yeah. And got Greta Thunberg. Greta Thunberg, yeah. Um, although she's not called Greta Thunberg in the film. I think we called her Greba Thunderberg. So that footage is back, and we've got that. If we hadn't got that footage back, it wouldn't have destroyed the progression of the movie. Uh, we've got somebody that's doing um, a takeoff of the uh, Head of the World Health Organization, because he's been on the screen a lot since the beginning of the lockdowns and people are waiting on what he's got to say. And I thought he's the biggest joke of the lot this year. I never heard such nonsense constantly spouted from one person. For instance, we've got a pandemic and he's originally refusing to say it's a pandemic. And then once he's said that it's a pandemic, you know, he's absolving the Chinese government of all blame. So he, you know, when it came out of China and China was covering it up. 
we've got a person that's um, doing a take of, uh, oh, I can't say all of the different things that we're doing, but uh, <coughs> we're trying to capture major personalities that came up this year mm-hmm. um, that uh, could easily be forgotten in two years' time. Nobody's going to remember this, um, this guy from the World Health Organization in two years, and they'll know the World Health Organization, but not necessarily the person that is the chairman this year. Uh, well, you and me, we lived through um, the Gulf War when that went uh, live on TV. Right. Do you remember that one yeah. CNN reporter that was right in the um, heart of it all? No. I don't remember. His name has just slipped my mind the second I mentioned him. When the Gulf War came up and it was live on television, there was only one reporter that was in Baghdad itself. And he was on the television virtually 24-7. All th- like, Australia is not the United States, but for the first time, we were seeing an overseas TV station on our TV. We'd never heard of CNN. <laughs> so suddenly... Um, from having been used to seeing seven channel seven, nine and 10 and how they do stuff. We're seeing all new graphics, whole thing. And this one person, and just as you've shown, you don't remember him. He was a household name at that point. I don't think uh, Greta Thunberg, unless she goes on to being an advocate, a professional advocate is going to be remembered in a year's time. And I don't think this guy from the world health organization will be remembered beyond his time. But right now, those are people that everybody in the street has heard of because we've seen so much of them. So um, I'm putting those people in so that uh, when this film is looked at, um, it'll be a timestamp of this year. The weirdest year we're ever going to (laughs) live. I hope this is the weirdest year that we have to live through. (laughs) Well, as long as uh, we don't end up with the world war after it, you know. Well, if, yeah. not, if, thing, if things just return to normal uh, within a year or so, um, we'll have not only done a film that stands on its own just because it does have a storyline mm-hmm. and it does have this humorous stuff of um, a toxic alien zombie babe UFO invasion of uh, the world. So we'll have that going for it anyway the cut-in sections using these different people, you won't actually have to know who those people were when they're forgotten to get the jokes. They're not in-jokes. I mean, they have more meaning right this moment when you know the people, but they'll stand on their own in five and ten years' time. It'll be a little time stamp. And quite frankly, um, if I wasn't, if, if I wasn't doing this film, I wouldn't be able to do anything. It's like being in prison. We've got a curfew. You're not allowed out, I think, after 6.30 at night. I can't remember what time, but you're not allowed out. And you... you um, so, basically, at night time, you're not allowed out. During the daytime, you're only allowed to go out to um, go to the supermarket or the doctor. And we're locked down for quite a, a while here. That's weird. Here... It's like normal. Mm. Kids are going to school. I work in a supermarket. It's always super crowded. Everything yeah. except like like there's no rock concerts or 
festivals or anything like that, but everything else is pretty normal. But that might be why it's spreading so much here too. Oh, things got out of hand here when we had it under control, but that's just Melbourne. But uh, we are taking advantage of the fact that we're working with a lot of remote crews. So just like Vixie is in Sydney and um, they can have five people on a set so she can do certain shots. We're getting some stuff shot in Texas. Um, uh, Where about, what um, state are you in? Alabama. Actually not far from Texas. Yeah. So with Texas, I don't know if their footage is actually going to come back to us. Like I said, until I've got it, I don't know because I'm working with a lot of new people and I'm not there on their set. So we've got, we've got um, some scenes being shot in Texas at the moment. So you're going to have cowboys in this movie. Um, It's going to be very cowboyish. Yeah. (laughs) We've got a lot of things. We've got Africans that have got spears and uh, grass skirts throwing spears. If they come back with the footage. So it, People are coming back with footage as we go along, but it, until we get to the end of September, um, there's going to be people that don't come through. So I, I accept that there's going to be people that don't come through. Mm-hmm. There's a, a nice little jokes that fit in nicely, but aren't vital to the storyline. They don't slow it down either. But. So, so you've made it really flexible. So the story will be intact no matter what happens as long as some people come back with footage otherwise the story is just like telling somebody all of the major events without actually padding them out but even like i guess those areas where people don't come through where you need them you can probably fix them later on before you release the movie well i can keep looking for new people to shoot other scenes that will do the same job but um I've already accepted that um, some some scenes um, aren't going to come back anyway. Uh, a percentage, not particular ones. So, um, yeah. So, the flexibility has been key on this. But uh, at the same time, you don't enter a project uh, without accepting that you could fail. Hmm. Is Just because I haven't. Well, just because I haven't yet doesn't mean that I don't accept that it can happen because uh-huh. some projects came so close to not coming through. Uh, yeah. Um, so are you going to continue making movies along this line after this one, do you think? you think you're going to keep using this type of process? I think we will um, because the world changed. So... Uh, I believe we were already working remote. I was working remotely with some people since um, for 11 years now. One music video I did, um, probably the second one that I did for my band Darkness Visible, we had an animator, but the animator was in Canberra at the time. Later on, he moved to Melbourne and we worked a bit closer, mm-hmm. but he was in Canberra and um, I, we, we had some tombstones that were being done in cartoon form that were then going to turn into the tombstones, the, the foam tombstones that the band uses on stage. We wanted the lead singer's eyes and mouth in the tombstones. So 
um, I got in our camera guy, the Melbourne guy. We filmed it on mini DV, funny enough, and filmed close-ups of her face and her eyes doing the words, put the mini DV tape into the mail, sent it to him. He did um, his animations. Um, later on, when it was more digital, I was working with people um, in the movies rather than the band um, from overseas. Some of them were doing editing. Some of them were doing the sound. So we are already working with it, but we hadn't thought to work with actors. We are going to, um, after this, work with actors from overseas and always have some of that in the film. Uh, what's the name of the band again? Oh, Darkness Visible. Darkness Visible. I haven't looked this up. I wanted to see, hear your band. <laughs> oh, you find them on YouTube. Darkness Visible. Keeps coming up as an audio book. Ah, Darkness Visible as a name's been used by a lot of places. Um, so you'd have to put Darkness Visible Gothic band. Rock Band. <coughs> when, like, uh, I came up with the name pre-internet days. Um, so I had no idea that it was being used other places. Um, Darkness visible is a term that is used um, in the third degree in Freemasonry. I didn't know that. You're a free. Wait, that's you, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, this is actually a short film we did to promote the upcoming video. This is like five years. That's me. Showing off the people that were in the in the music video. <laughs> yes, you see all that craziness. <laughs> oh god. It's awesome. It's a bit over the top, isn't it? That's what you can you can never be too over top. I used to play in a punk band called the Scumbags. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, before uh, Darkness Visible, I was in a punk rock band called uh, Thrush. Darkness, <laughs> Vis Darkness Visible is more what you call death rock than gothic rock, even though I said gothic. Um, death rock is like your combination of punk and, uh, and goth, sometimes called horror rock. <laughs> Oh, this is great. <laughs> the band actually, the band and the props and everything, um, I basically segued into uh, the movies. So mm -hmm. when you were looking at that and you saw that, um, that nurse with, um, in rubber, which is actually a bloke, uh -huh. um, and the gas mask and the weapons and then you saw the fetish guy in a dog suit and all of that. That's the sort of B grade schlock that came from the band into the films that I'm doing. It, it reminds me a little bit I and mean, just a little bit of like Guar. You ever oh, hear Guar? I've heard the, the word I I'm yeah. sitting here in the type the, the, There are bands here in the United States that are super theatrical. And they wear like these crazy costumes and they, they, they bring in like a tanker of blood, fake blood and shoot it on the Oh, audience. we did that once. 
did that once, could never do it again. I mean, we, we were really theatrical, but uh, one of the shows we did, um, there was um, a burlesque dancer that I'd booked that was on before us, and that was Miss Nick. And uh, she actually had a coffin full of blood that she comes out of. So a lot of fake blood, litres of it. And when she was going to tip it all out, I said, um, just tip uh, some of that into these bowls here. And we'll use that on stage because the stage was just covered in horror props. And we used to have people that would get up on stage. um, So we'd had a a couple of girls that had jumped up on stage and they'd ripped their tops off. So they're all dancing there. And one of them saw the blood. We only meant to use it in small amounts. We ended up with blood on the keyboards, on everything we had. So it was like at the end of the day at home, it was um, probably four days work of trying to get corn syrup blood off every single guitar chord, off of the bass, off of the amp. The amount that was left in the place when everybody went Mm -hmm. to clean up was I don't know how it happened, but it was all up the walls and everything. Uh, the only reason why we got away with it was because we'd plaque, packed the place out. Uh-huh. But they said, no more fake blood. Well, they stage. use, Guar uses all water-based stuff. So it just comes off and he mop it up at the end of the night. And that's it. Oh, well, the, the stuff Miss Nick uses is stuff we basically cook up for, um, yeah, for, the, for the horror movies. It's sticky. It's corn syrup. It's got food dye. Once you washed it all off, some of the food dye has gotten onto your skin and takes another two to three days of scrubbing before it comes Mm -hmm. off of your skin. Yeah, I used to use that stuff before cell phones. I used to keep it in my car in case it broke down and I'll just cover it on my head and lay out in the street just to get somebody to stop (laughs) the help. Oh, that's not a good idea. remember Remember the zombie marches? Yeah. Yeah, back in the earlier days, like I think it was the year 2008, I went along to um, the zombie march and I'm handing out flyers for the band, Darkness Visible, because it's the ultimate crowd for um, coming along to a theatrical horror rock show. So um, somebody said, look, mate, you can't just hand out flyers. You've got to be zombied up. And that was one of my friends that said it, not organizers because these were disorganized affairs mm-hmm. and he pours some corn syrup blood on my head and as you can see on bald it slowly dripped down and i couldn't work out why people are taking lots of photographs of me when these other people are all zombied up and looking fantastic somebody whispered in my ear something about that blood it's dripping down as if it's real it i mean it was just somebody that went blop mm-hmm. and it's you know so um, I mean, as these people are taking photos, I'm moving um, so that they can see the blood and they're all getting pissed off that I'm moving and that. Uh-huh. And I can't work out why friends wearing ripped up clothes and being full on zombies going, are not being photographed and I'm being photographed when I, I, I could not work it out. But anyway, the, I've given out my flyers at the um, thing, which probably is like an hour of... Um, of marching and uh, it's time to go home and my mate had parked his car um, at the suburb just before the city starts so just before your city streets when you're still in a suburb 
as we start walking towards where his car is, which is like a 40-minute walk or something, we're, we're walking with lots of people that are zombied up. So it all looks fine, right? But as we're walking, people are peeling off to the left and peeling off to the right because they're going on this public transport and that. And we get to a point where we're the only two people coming back from the zombie march. And I thought, well, I'm just going to walk into the um, service station and grab a packet of smokes. Little did I know that on the other side of the service station, less than a minute before we entered it, there'd been a car crash. So <laughs> this car... Oh, yeah. I explained to the woman there at least 10 times, I haven't been in a car crash. Could I please get a packet of cigarettes? <laughs> because the blood's still dripping down and looking realistic. Her husband has um, worked it out and he's told her she'd gone into shock. She could not understand that. I. So it's not a good idea to pretend to do that. I saw the reaction that the person could not be brought out of shock. <laughs> I almost didn't get my packet of cigarettes. <laughs> as long as you got your smokes, that's what counts. Yeah, but uh, all, all walking through, uh, I walked home from a zombie movie, uh, a zombie film that I did with um, with makeup, um, and almost stopped the city. Now, I'd been on a number of sets of zombies before and had zombie makeup, and no one ever batted an eyelid, right? As realistic it is, it didn't bother anyone. But on this particular zombie set, they had like five makeup artists all doing the makeup. <coughs> The one that did me didn't put disease and peeling skin and everything. She did me as if I'd actually just been bashed up. In context with the video, I fit in with everybody and just look like a zombie. But you pull all of the people that look like zombies out, suddenly I look like I've been bashed up. Well, normally you take your makeup off before you leave the set. And I was like the only one that was prepared because I've been in that many films before and these people are all there for the first time. And like I was there um, to instruct them on what to do as a zombie, etc. Well, I'd brought in bottles of water and rolls of toilet paper and everything for cleaning up afterwards. Mm -hmm. I didn't realise that the people shooting it hadn't brought anything. When I went off for a cigarette, they're all thinking because I'm the instructor that this stuff is there for everybody to use. I come back and there's none of the stuff to clean myself up to leave. And I'm the only one that doesn't have a bloody car. So I walk down the street. I go, I'm waiting for the tram um, to take me to the city to change trams and cars are stopping left, right and centre. People are hopping out and I'm explaining over and over and over. And unfortunately, I had two trams to take and a two-hour travel to get all of the way back to uh, my place from the set. I'm lucky I didn't get arrested. The um, disruption that I caused on everything, from uh, cars stopping in the street to people going nuts on the tram, it um, you just can't hop out looking like you've been in an accident. I've seen what... I've seen, <laughs> I've seen the chaos. I've, I've unfortunately caused that chaos. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. In New York City, that would be like nothing. No, Melbourne New York City is, people would just... <laughs> no, no Mel 
have a look at Melbourne. It's not a small city. It's um, comparable. Um, and you get people dressing up for cosplay uh-huh. um, realistically three times a year, whether it's Comic-Con or uh, there's three or four of these big ones. So people are used to people being dressed up. But when you come off of a professional set, and you really do look like you've been in an accident and you can't, your clothes are ripped and dirtied and everything's realistic. The public can't tell the difference. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to try it sometime. <laughs> I'm lucky. I really am lucky I didn't get arrested on that, walking off of that zombie set like that. The worst one, I, I, I had one where nobody looked at me twice, where I'd walked off a zombie set with all of the makeup. Absolutely nobody is looking at me, even though it's really good stuff because it looked diseased, etc. But I'd left the set a little bit earlier because they were just bullshitting around, you know, directors wanting to lecture everybody and say, I, you know, like they've already done their shoot. It's just they want to stand up on the dais and self-aggrandise for half an hour, an hour, and I can't be bullshit shit it off with that and i had um to tee up uh my music video so um i've gone off to where we're going to shoot to meet with the people to go through the place to see am i going to book this place and it was a fetish place and it was one that gets into the real stuff you know like real blood play mm-hmm. and um yeah, they, they had all of their equipment for cock and ball torture and uh stuff you've just never seen in your life when I walked in, um, the security guard at the front freaked out because he thought that I had um, that something had gone wrong inside, and uh, real permanent damage had been done. <laughs> so yeah, that that was the only one that reacted because he's used to people right. coming outside for a cigarette that might have a few injuries, but the zombie. <laughs> The zombie makeup was a bit much. (laughs) (laughs) Something would have seriously gone wrong during that session. (laughs) Well, when something serious, if something ever seriously went wrong at that club, and I'm not slandering them because they've closed down years ago now, Mm -hmm. but if something had, if you saw the equipment that they've got there, boy, I hate to think of what would have gone wrong. Hmm. No, I didn't know that before then that they had stocks that your cock and balls go into and um oh they had all of the electro electric equipment and oh they had everything uh, and they said uh, to me we don't care how much uh, mess you make with fake blood in here we get the real stuff all of the way up the walls and over the ceiling we've got the cleaners <laughs> that's great <laughs> i think toxic alien zombie babes is actually going to be a bit um a bit tamer than all of that um, when, when you're volunteer, even though you're going to be a bit sexy in that, because you're not paying people, you're not going to get nudity. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that we'll easily be able to get an MA rating, even though the gore can be pretty high because you will, you can get extreme gore. People aren't worried about that, but they, they still get a bit, um, uh, prudish about, uh, nudity. So if you want nudity in a film, you've got to pay a fair bit. Hmm. It's weird. Cause like during the seventies, it was common, <laughs> you know? Oh, nudity is common. I mean, I, I, 
I wonder sometimes, you know, with the nudity thing, like um, I, I live near St Kilda Beach and uh, in summer you walk there and there's all these women topless. Mm-hmm. So um, I've seen, even though it's not legal, I've seen women topless in their front yards where, um, where I live. Um, so with, with all, and the internet's just chock full of porn, you know? Yeah. So it's not like in, like when, um, you know, like in the fifties where if somebody went topless, it was like a big deal. And yet as soon as it comes down to a movie, um, how precious a lot of the women can get, I think, well, I don't get it. You're going to go down the beach topless. You're, you're, you're sitting in the lounge room having a bong topless, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, um, you probably got um, hardcore crap on your own phone camera. But as soon as it comes to uh, one of my movies, I won't go topless. And I think this is stupid. But at the same time as being stupid, it also isn't going to make a difference because it's not the 50s. In the 50s or the 60s, topless in a film would be a major selling point. I'm not sure people would actually notice it. Right. You know, put it in a film nowadays... I'm pretty sure a lot of people could watch it through and not pick up that somebody actually was topless. Not unless they went and drew a lot of attention to their breasts to make sure that you notice. So I don't even know if it's uh, for all of the, it's just at that point where people make too much, the actresses make too much of a fuss of it, but what would the payoff be putting it in there? And I think it's just so common. It's not worth the fuss. Makes sense especially if it's going to make it more difficult to get the film out or get the rating. It's not worth the effort. Pretty much. You know, Game of Thrones got known for its nudity, but I stopped noticing the nudity um, before the first series was up. Mm -hmm. It was just, it was all, I'm not sure if they reduced the nudity as it went along either. I think they did though. They did. I think. Because did you ever see Spartacus, the TV show? Yeah, now that was um, a lot of nudity in that. Um, so I sort of noticed it with Spartacus. Um, but you didn't notice it. I think that went for three seasons. I forget how many seasons it was. Three yeah. or four, probably. Yeah, I think uh, Lucy Lawless went topless in that. Yeah, quite a few times. Yeah, because with Cena and Xena, uh, mm-hmm. when um, being topless on the commercial TV was much rarer, although it did happen a lot, but not as often. So you never, so it's like, oh, Lucy Lawless is going topless, Xena. Well, once you've um, seen and two seconds has gone by, then it's like, yeah, sure. It's not a big deal anymore. Yeah. So I just, yeah, so there, there probably won't be any nudity in um, Toxic Alien Zombie Babes. I'm not going to push for it because I don't. I just think the fuss mm-hmm. that the actresses make isn't worth the payoff of what you will see on the screen. Yeah. So I got to get ready to wrap this up, unfortunately, because we started late. <laughs> and that's okay. We got but, there in the end. But, you know, you're always welcome to come back on my show, you know, talk about your movies talk about your band well the band's probably not going to happen again um we were going for years 
um, what actually put an end to the live show was that I got cancer. I didn't get cancer from the show, I, but I had cancer and I didn't have the energy to get back up on the stage. Uh-huh. And so I transformed it into the band would just record. And I expected that I would get my energy back. Um, by the time I started getting my energy back from the beginning of cancer to really having been free from it for a number of years, I fell into the movies and they take up all of my time. I also think the band was getting too dangerous um, because whereas you like you go to a big commercial show, like we had a theater restaurant called Dracula's and that was a horror show and they're all professional musicians. Each musician could play maybe seven um, instruments to professional level and you'd watch them singing, dancing and changing from bass to keyboards to walking over to playing drums and they knew that they were an act. The shit with the band didn't stop on stage. Mm-hmm. Be coming back, we'd have um, two cars, both of them overloaded with um, equipment. It'd be like 3.34 in the morning, you know, and I'd be in one car, and next thing I'm noticing, the guys pedal to the metal, you know, <laughs> with all of the equipment. And I look at the other car, and like I'd, the keyboardist uh, was hanging out, you know, with their tits sticking out, screaming at people in the street, yeah! And I'm thinking, on this one, oh, fuck, am I going to survive it? And then I'd be thinking when they pull the chainsaw out on stage during the stage act, is he going to hit somebody? I mean, there's no chain no um, chain on it Mm -hmm. but it's still a big chunk of metal you know to be swinging around and I'm thinking no I can't keep these people under control and these gigs are getting too wild and some of the audience members are too absolutely over the top and when you look at the pictures and you see that we've um, set up a stage there is thousands of dollars worth of props and it's all set up and then you look at the end and you see that Everything is smashed, not broken. I mean, yeah, some things break anyway, but the props are everywhere. The audience is everywhere. There's topless girls covered in blood everywhere. It's like, (laughs) I'd be looking at this and thinking, this isn't professional. This isn't even organized chaos. This is just pure chaos and debauchery. That is my kind of show. Oh, God. We had people that would drop in and they'd be from America that have their phone cameras, earlier versions and what we've got now. And they'd come out and they'd go, I can't believe this shit happens in Australia. I'm sending this to my friends. So, you know, just I looked at it and I thought, this can't go on. This absolutely is dangerous. Luckily, nobody's been hurt. But, yeah, your wildest fantasies of what the crazy rock gigs with topless gothic girls fake blood and we actually were doing that it was for real i thought yeah um if if i hadn't gotten cancer and uh lost my energy i wouldn't have woken up to say this has to stop i'm trying to do a show it doesn't have to be people being absolute nutcases for real (laughs) (laughs) so now None of the people I work with are nutcases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
there's no danger there's minimum danger of anyone getting hurt on a set but those gigs were there was always a risk <laughs> not i mean we could have been shut down on obscenity right. charges and stuff yeah that sounds like a lot of fun though Oh, yeah, but it's also the difference with me being 56 and um, me um, from 25 to 45 being a little bit wilder than I should have. Nah. <laughs> you lived a good life. <laughs> oh, I'm still growing old disgracefully. Yeah. I'm just trying to um, tone it down just a tiny bit so that I can continue being a disgraceful old man for another 10 years, another 20 years. <laughs> well, don't, don't tone it down too much. Uh, not to the point that it'll be boring. Toxic Alien <laughs> Zombie Babes does have some black humour. That's why I stopped from saying some of the things that I was doing. I thought, let it come out in the cinema and get in trouble for it then. We've got such a woke culture nowadays. And I can't believe the people that are around that want to pretend like they're the great social justice warriors and start lecturing our generation because we're on the front lines of the demonstrations fighting for all of the rights for various people. Yeah. So we were there. We've now had all of these years to study, never been against anybody that's gay. There are a lot of gay people on my sets, never been against anyone that's black, anyone that's green, anyone that's orange, anyone that's got this belief, anyone that's got that belief. We just accepted everybody. Now, with my growing older and, and senility, I have enough trouble remembering the lines from my film, let alone having to remember LGBTQ, stick it up your bum. You know, and it's like, no, you can't use that word. No, you can't use this other word. No, I'm offended at this. No, I'm offended at that. It's like, I am going to offend people with some of the stuff in the movie, but I want to wait till the movie's out for them to be offended rather than say, mm -hmm. oh, yes, we're doing this. And then um, have 20,000 internet warriors decide to shut everything down before we can actually cause trouble. Now, we've got a namby-pamby generation that have um, been grown up in cotton wool that are absolutely up themselves that cannot um, get into a debate with somebody with an opposing view. They can't handle it. We grew up... Um, I, don't like even, I don't even understand why people would care if somebody disagrees. <laughs> it doesn't well, make sense. But that's the whole concept of an interesting discussion. You're sitting in a room and somebody says, I'm an Ananda Marga. You go, what? And you don't care that they are. And then they start putting forward their views. Another person says, well, you know, I don't believe in religion. I'm a communist. And you don't go, oh, a communist. Oh, a member of a cult. <laughs> you, you've got the opening for these um, conversations. You've get to explore stuff. You're not expected to be converted to communism because you're talking to a communist. You're not expected to become gay because you're talking to your gay friend. You're not expected to become anything, but you are expected to learn and to expand your mind. Yes. You can't, you can't do that if your friends are scared to speak up. Now, they might have um, views that you consider offensive, for instance, I'm vegetarian. I don't tell people not to eat meat. Mm -hmm. 
I could probably go on forever a day about the cruelty to animals and do you have the right to kill them? But, you know, uh, live and let live. Do what thou wilt as long as it harm none. So it's a case of you want to learn about stuff. You have to expand your mind. You want to expand your mind. That's part of living. You want to hear all of these different views. You want to see all of this stuff. And you want as many good friends as possible, the ones that will be there for you when you're in trouble. And that friend cannot be the same as you. It, you, you can't have identi- a whole lot of identical people. So one friend um, might be uh, trans. Well, I don't want to have to remember everything there is about trans to accept them. I accepted them uh, from the first minute I met them. Right. So, yeah, I want to hear all of the things I've got to say. <laughs> but, I, but I don't want to memorize their acronyms and be their slave. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, they're just my mate who I'll hang out with and enjoy, <laughs> and enjoy a drink with and enjoy a conversation where they tell me stuff I've never heard before. Exactly. <laughs> Today's generation can't handle that and they're actually creating trouble through divisiveness. So if somebody stands up and says, some, let's say somebody says, I love Donald Trump. I'm not a Donald Trump supporter, by the way, and I'm not a hater. He's not my president. I'm an Aussie. And I won't mm-hmm. lecture Americans on who they've got to like and who they got to vote for. But I'm watching other Americans. One says, if you like Donald Trump, you cannot be my friend. Let's use the block button on the internet. And the other one says, oh, if you hate Trump, I've got to block you. Another one right. says, black lives matter. Well, of course they matter. But another person says, all lives matter. So another one person says, oh, well, you must be a racist. And they're all blocking each other. Nobody can... Nobody seems to be able to handle a conversation. That's true. That's true. And like, that's why I don't even vote because I don't want to take sides. I just want to get along with everybody, man, you know, and hang out and have fun. Oh, I vote. It was a right that was fought for, for a long time. I mean, you you don't have to go back that far. Oh, here, here in the U S though, they have the electoral college. So it doesn't really count anyway. Yeah, that all confused me when I I remember when Trump got elected. It was the first time I started hearing about electoral college votes. But uh, yeah, as an Aussie, when people want to drag me into all of that, I can get away with it, whereas I couldn't as an American. Because as an Aussie, I can say, he's your president. I'm not here to lecture you or tell you what Mm -hmm. to do. You know, so I can get away with it. But a lot of friends, they're talking about how you know, they're getting blocked or you say the wrong thing. Somebody's got a mob of a uh, hundred people that will now try to uh, make you lose your social media page, yeah. uh, call up your work and cause trouble. It's going too far. There are things in, in life that we shouldn't tolerate. For sure. You know, I think war is a great crime and I think everyone agrees with me on that. So I do. <laughs> but this whole concept of not, tolerating another view is how you get to war it is yeah i gotta get going because i have another interview no worries thank you for having <laughs> me on <laughs> well i'll probably have i'm gonna have you back again we'll do this again for sometime sure. man well we're fellow punks i had no yeah. idea before uh we oh, got yeah. into the chat I, I am an old school metalhead punk when i was a kid i must have been like eight years old and yeah. i saw alice cooper on tv and i was like oh. 
that's what I want to be when I grow up. That's it. And, and my mom freaked out a little bit. And then she bought, she was like, well, if you want to be a rock star, you're going to have to learn to play an instrument. And she bought me a guitar and paid for the lessons. And I think Alice Cooper was the first one for me too. Um, but my parents weren't encouraging. <laughs> my mom yeah. was, my dad wasn't. But it was cool because oh. like later on, I got to meet Alice Cooper and I've seen him a shitload of times since then. Oh, he comes out here on a regular basis, and I'm one of the only people I know that hasn't gone to see him. He's out here every couple of years, so he's like a member of the family for a lot of the people uh, uh-huh. in, into uh, dark music in Melbourne. They've all got pictures of him. He's like the coolest guy when he comes out. So I haven't met him, but I think what I chose to do was just um, keep the fantasy, not want to get to know the person. Well, he's actually very, very cool. He won't disappoint there. Oh, for Melbourne, he, I, I meant it. He really is like a part of the family. Everybody I know, they'll say, oh, I went to see him at Crown Casino. I went to see him here. I went mm-hmm. to see there. And they've got the pictures and they've met him. So everybody in Melbourne's met him. He, <laughs> he may as well be an Aussie. Yeah. And he, he may as well move to Melbourne. He's loved here. Um, but you know, you're going back to 1970 to uh, 1972 with what he's bringing out. Boy, was he considered outrageous? Yeah, he was. He's a major influence of mine. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, anyway, I better let you get going. All right, man. Thank you for being on. Thanks. Oh, thanks for having me, and we'll chat again soon. Awesome, thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. Please like and review this podcast on whatever platform you are using. It helps this podcast move up in the ranks and easier for people to find. Also, tell your friends, family, co-workers, and even that weird uncle. Which I would be that weird uncle. If anyone wants to be a guest, you can email me at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My website is www.everythingimaginable2020.com. On Patreon is patreon.com forward slash everythingimaginable. You can make a donation to support this podcast. Remember, everything that is was first imagined. Thank you for listening, and see you next week. You know, yes. You can also buy my book, Enlightenment Guarantee, the only book on Zen you'll ever need. It's available on Amazon, Kindle, and paperback.